mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. We're going to be beginning this morning in 848. But by way of review, quickly, we just want to look at and see uh, what's been going on. If you remember, we started this chapter. Um, everybody went to their own house, the last verse of 7. Uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, obviously, because he has no house here. And then they came to him into the temple, and they're in the, the, the treasury. The, you know, the treasury, guess what? That's where your heart's at. Everybody's treasury. What, you, what are you treasuring in your heart? They come and he's in the treasury and they throw a woman down that was caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act. Now, they don't, now, mind you, they don't have the man with her, but they just have the woman. And listen to me. We're the woman. We've been caught red-handed in adultery. And they... Test Jesus. Listen, be very careful testing Jesus. There's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. And he stoops down. They say, what should we do to her? The law says we should stone her. And he stoops down and with his finger, just like he wrote the Ten Commandments, he begins to write in the earth. And then they begin to, and I'm paraphrasing, they begin to ask him again and he says, he stands up and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he stoops back down and starts to ride in the dirt again. Now that's very important because in our text today, they are going to take up stones to throw at Jesus. So they're actually declaring that they have no sin and he's the sinner. We're going to see that at the end of this text. They've, de they've decided that he's the one with sin and that they're okay. Very dangerous place to be in your life, to think that you're okay without Christ. To ever think that you're good, now I can go and hang out by myself and do my own thing. Very dangerous place to be. As he's writing, they walk away one by one. I don't know what he's writing. Maybe their names. Maybe their sin. Maybe he was just writing once again the Ten Commandments, and they, each one reminded that they had sin in their life. We're all confined to that. None righteous, no, not one. All of us are born with a sin nature. Thus, we sin. We can't stop it unless we get a new nature and we're reborn again. And when the last one walks away, he looks up and says, where are your accusers? There's none. Does none condemn you? And she said, none, Lord. And he says, neither do I. But he adds something at the end of it. Go and sin no more. 
Go from me and practice sin no more. Have a heart not to practice sin. And, you, and if you look at that, you go, I'm a sinner. That's what I do. How do I go away and sin no more? Do you guys remember the uh, story of the turtle and the scorpion? There's a big body of water and a scorpion needs to get to the other side and the turtle's out there and he's like, hey, hey, take me across to the other side. And I make up, I make up my own story. So if you've heard it a different way, don't, don't freak out. I always just use it where it fits for me. And he's like, no, we'll get in the middle of the water and you'll sting me and I'll die. He's like, no, that would be crazy. We get in the middle of the water and I sting you and you die. I'm going to go down. I'll die. I'm not going to sting you. Just take me to the other side. So he says, that's, that's logical. I'll do that. Jump on. He gets to the middle of the water. The scorpion stings him. And he begins to die. He says, why did you sting me? I'm going to die. And, and you're going to die. And he said, that's what I do. I'm a scorpion. Listen, that's what sinners do. You have no help to go and sin on your own unless you look to Jesus. The one who is, is right here judging you and says, I don't condemn you. I have come to die for you to take your place. I became a sacrifice to die in your stead. When we were doing 2 Corinthians 5.20, now we are his ambassadors as if Christ was pleading through us. I implore you, be reconciled to God. The next verse is, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, that's why he died in our stead, that we might become the witnesses, the righteousness, the ones that are walking freely and being the light of the world to those we meet. And the only way you're going to get rid of a nature of sinning is to have a new nature of life. We follow death, we reap death. We follow life, we'll reap life. That's what we want to do. But you have to come to Jesus. So the next verse is in 112. Look at it. 112, or excuse me, 812. Where do you get one at? Eight number new beginnings. Verse 12, he tells her how. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am, ego of me, the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You want to know how to go and sin no more? Follow Jesus. Follow his example. I, I don't know how to do that. Believe in him and his Holy Spirit will fill you. And then the Holy Spirit will lead you in the word of God and wash you and cleanse you. Listen, listen. Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. And as he continued to teach there in the treasury, many believed in him. And we get to 831 where it says, and then Jesus said to those. Jews who believe, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now listen to me, because this is very important. These people said they believed. And then they began to argue with Jesus and his word. They began to argue in the flesh. Instead of walking by faith and trusting that he is true and trusting he is the Messiah, trusting that you can follow him and you'll sin no more, they began to argue with him and say, we're not in bondage. We've never been in bondage. We're Abraham's children. 
and they began to claim their identity as Americans, I mean, excuse me, as uh, uh, Jewish people. They began to call upon all the other things in their life and their works and everything that they've done, and I carry a big Bible and I went to church instead of just trusting his word and saying, yes, Lord, and following him. And those who believed, see, you can have demonic faith. I believe the demons believe and they tremble. They don't obey. And they begin this argument. Now, let me just give you a little disclaimer. Even if this is the ruling authority, the other Jews, those who don't believe, and they're stirring up the crowd of the believers, you need to know that that same spirit is here today that would stir you up, not in this building, but in this world, that would try to stir you up to argue with God's word, that would try to stir you up to follow a lie instead of following truth. The only way you're going to be led out of this world is by going through the door. Jesus is the door. We'll get to that in chapter 10. He's the way out of this world and the way into heaven. There is no other way. There's salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus. And always remember, the word name means his character, his nature, his authority, his will. You can't say, I believe in the name, and then ignore his character. Never changes. His authority he is our covering. He is the head. He has spoken. See, Eve said, oh, I'm going to follow another authority. Oh, I'm going to go to another character. I'm going to believe something else. Listen to me. The name of Jesus. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his will. It's his authority. And if you believe in that name, you'll come under those and you'll follow. And that's the way Jesus leads us out so that we sin no more. Oh, we'll stumble. This is really referring to practicing sin like it's okay. See our world today, people want to practice sin. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but don't you dare talk to me about going to the bar last night. Don't you dare talk to me about the way I'm living my life. Don't you dare judge me. I believe in Jesus. That's good enough. I believe. The demons believe and tremble. Those who believe and go to sin no more and end up with the fruit of life they begin to ask him for strength and power and wisdom and how to stop practicing sin. And they walk in the newness of life, which is already in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. But there's what's called out there the death culture. And that's what they actually start to do. If you follow this twice, he says, he says oh, you're going to kill me. You're trying to kill me. He is literally revealing their heart to them. He says, you're, if you're Abraham's children, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. Death culture. That's what's going on. You can call it, here, let's, let's get in the flesh. Let's get politically correct. Cancel culture. That's what they say. No, it's death culture. It's been going on since the garden when the devil said, did God really say? Yes, he did. He spoke. And then he came down to represent it. And he became the example of it. And he did it all in love with mercy and he offers grace and this free gift and we have to do it his way or it's not going to work it's going to end some other place and there's only two places heaven and hell and it's not hard to find he's not hiding from us he's come down so that we can see truth and when we begin to argue with him and say, not so, and we're not believing that, and you can't tell us that because we're descendants of Abraham, and we were born in America, and we, we believe in God. And he's saying, if you believed in God, you believe in me. 
He's saying, if you believed God, you would see that I'm the Messiah of God. I'm the heart of God. Come down and took flesh. And yet they still want to kill him. Listen to me. You cannot argue with God's word and say, that was for then, that's not now. That's the way you see it, Greg. Read the Bible. It's God's opinion. Because if you don't agree with God's word, which is the only truth that there is, then you're killing God. It's death culture. You're either for him or you're against him. One or the other. You can't, you can't be, I'm going to do this a little bit because I said a prayer. That's, that's, that's what the churches are teaching, but it's not true. It's not true. You have to begin to follow. And you're not saved because you follow, but if you're saved, you'll follow. There's a little difference. You know, even, even in James, he says, faith without works is dead faith. Have you guys ever read that? It means it's not real faith. If it doesn't produce any evidence, any motion the other way in your life, then it's dead faith. And the same thing can happen is that you can be doing all kinds of works. You can be running around and doing all this stuff and say, look what I'm doing for God. Look at all this dust and this mud I'm making, and it's all flesh. It has nothing to do with the Spirit. And it's still not saving faith. God, is, God has called us. He put His Spirit in us. The Spirit gives men gifts and talents and abilities. And it's up to us to surrender and set down and get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship and find out why He called us and what my place is and begin to put others first and not myself. But we're putting other people first. We're putting Jesus first and then others and then ourself. And that's true saving faith when we begin to live this way. And when you actually see this text, we're going to see it in a minute, everything that they're doing when they answer, you'll see it. They're trying to honor themselves, glorify themselves, live for themselves, keep their position for themselves, and attack the Word of God. And that's what our flesh will do if we're not careful to surrender. Our flesh will attack everything and say, well, that's for Greg, and that's for them, but it's not for me. I get to go doing what I want because I already said a prayer. So we can deceive ourselves and especially con ourselves out of salvation. And you know what? Here's something that's very important about death culture. We are living in a time where technology has taken over. AI, artificial intelligence, can now, at, 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 within three minutes, produce a video that places you somewhere that you were not even at, that places a political leader someplace that they were not even at, and it puts their perfect image there. It sends it to your phone within three minutes, and you can be looking at an article that is totally a lie, and in the flesh you can be beginning to get worked up and mad about something when, in fact, you're supposed to be in your Bible Trusting the Lord and not believing the lies. Listen to me. There's so many Christians or people that say they're Christians that are still caught up in this battle that's down here instead of looking up, instead of looking to Jesus. Listen, because it's setting us up for lying signs and wonders. That's what the devil's doing with AI. The devil is going to use all of this technology to be like the most high God. See, he can't be God, but he can put cameras everywhere. And now he's really like God, and he's, and he's omnipresent everywhere. I've got a camera on him. I've got a camera on him. I'm recording him. i got him on his phone. i got this GPS, 
and, and I know everything that they're doing. I'm storing up all the data. I know everything about them, but he can't be God. And I'm not saying that this stuff is totally evil, but it's mostly evil. You can, you can use it for good because God uses all things for good for, the, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But this is being used by the devil to track you, to record you, to know you, and to put you in bondage. Listen to me. They can actually make videos right now, and you're going to believe that video. You're going to look at that video. You're going to say, this is actually going on. And I don't care which side it is. They are all in a play. They're all doing this theatrically to get you engrossed in it and forget what you're supposed to be doing. And that is the reconciliation of souls. We've been called to reconcile souls. That's all we're here for. And part of it is being a good witness on the job. Part of it is, is doing your job you know, unto the Lord Jesus. It's not laying around and cheating on your time card and stealing and getting away with what you can get away with and then trying to tell people about Jesus. Actually, just look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start in 9. Listen, it's coming. It, it, it's, it's, it's waiting to deceive the elect if it were possible. But we're supposed to be walking by faith, not by sight. But we're being set up for lying signs and wonders, and most people will believe it. The coming of the lawless one, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, is according to the working of Satan, listen, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception, among those who perish. Notice it's among the death culture. It's among those who do not have life. Because, why is it coming, Greg? They did not receive the love of the truth. Whose truth? Jesus. It's a person. 14.6 of John, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They wouldn't receive it. You know, he came to his own nation, Israel. We covered this, John 1, 10 and 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's the name again. And his children are led by the Spirit. They wouldn't believe the truth. Why would you believe the truth? That you might be saved. Soteria, delivered from this crooked and perverse generation, delivered to safety into his house, sealed by his Holy Spirit, Verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Listen to me. The devil is the lie. Jesus is in a conversation with these people, and he's saying, you're of your father, the devil, who's the father of all lies. He's the one that spoke from the beginning out of his own resources, trying to honor himself. Instead of worship God in spirit and truth. We don't want to believe the lie. And when you get caught up in a physical battle, you're listening to the lie. Yeah, but we're Americans. Listen, when you get caught up in a physical battle, you're listening to the lie. Because the spiritual battle is already won. And all we're called to do is be ambassadors for Christ. 
as if Christ were pleading through us. I implore you. I pray. I beg you. Be reconciled to God. Why would God do that? Because he loves us and because he gave his most prized possession, the blood of his son, so that you can be saved. So he wants every person possible to be reconciled. He doesn't want to lose any. It's not his will that any would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we come to a church. We come to say a prayer. We come and do things. But are we come to the saving knowledge, gnoskos, where we learn to have a relationship. We learn to walk with God. We learn to follow him and learn to die to self and live for him. That's salvation. There's a sanctification process going on where we stop doing what we want to do and we begin to do what he bought us with his precious blood to do. And that is reconcile souls. How do we do that, Greg? You speak the word of God and you have to get in it. You have to learn it. And the Holy Spirit's waiting to teach us. He's waiting patiently to teach us the word of God so that we can open our mouth and tell other people what it says. They believe the lie. What happens when you believe the lie? That they all may be condemned. That's eternal condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But what you say afterward, qualifying, that walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. The, the, the deception is for you to walk according to your flesh and your heart to stay fixed upon your toys and you winning when Christ has already won. that they all may be condemned who did not believe, pistio, trust, and and trust their spiritual well-being into Christ. Trust what? The truth, but, contrast, had pleasure in unrighteousness. Where's your pleasure being found at? Are you disgusted with your sin? Are you disgusted and mourning over your sin? Yours is the kingdom of God then. Look at Colossians 3.3. 3. Just back up a couple pages. It's not very far. Colossians 3. I want you to know where you're at. You're not here anymore. If you know Jesus Christ, this is not your life. You've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And he says, if then, 3.1, you were raised with Christ. Listen, if we're crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, then I also raise. And that word can mean raising from the dead, which we were born, or it can also mean a recovery of spiritual truth because we've been living in lies and we have a recovery of truth and we, have a, the, we can follow the light of the world. We can follow the truth. Look, if you were raised, then you should be seeking those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He's praying for you and me right now. And you should set your mind, what you're thinking about, you set your mind on things above, not on the things which are on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory listen to me it's not our life anymore it's not about us anymore notice this and we'll move into our text notice this notice this most of the church living upside down 
Well, I go to church on Sunday, and now I get to go do what I want all the time where I want, and I get to chase this, and I get to chase that, and work on this, and I'm doing that. And boy, I can't believe these politicians and these people, and these they're all earth dwellers. They don't know Jesus. Yeah, but they said that Jesus once. I don't care. It's the fruit of your life that proves whether you know Jesus. Listen to me. There's evidence when you truly know Jesus. True saving faith produces a life that looks like love. Now, some of us love a little differently, but as the Spirit begins to grow in us, it begins to look like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit will control self to keep self off the throne and remind you that it's about Jesus. It's about reconciling souls. There's only one ministry, <clears throat> excuse me, one ministry in the church. can be done in a lot of different ways, but there's only one ministry, the reconciliation of souls. It's there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The reconciliation of souls. In fact, he says in 5.12, we don't regard anyone, or excuse me, it's not 12. I don't know what verse it is. We, we're not to regard anybody as flesh and blood anymore. Because if your eyes are open, you know it's a spiritual realm, that, that you're a spirit with a body for a short period of time down here. You're not a body that has a spirit. Your body's going to burn. You get a new house eternal in the heavenlies when you get to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would, have not, I would have told you. But where I go, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. And if I go, I will come again to get you. <clears throat> he's coming back to get us and he's making us a new house for our spirit to live in. A new body. This one was made for this environment down here. For this testing time where we would find out whether we're going to live by bread and chase flesh and, and the physical and the carnal. Or will we live by faith and walk in the spirit and trust the spirit to lead us in the word of God. To do the will of God to reconcile the souls of God. I pray that you're getting this. It's easier to talk about than it is to walk out. But there is what we call death culture out there today. Death culture that's trying to kill us. And we want to live upside down. Our flesh wants us to live upside downward. I always get corrected with that. You know, if you say upside down, you don't have to say a word. Upside down word. It's kind of redundant, right? I'm from Kentucky. Listen, be careful. Don't be found living upside down. That's the sin nature, upside down. Christ turns us right side up where we're living righteously. There's a, there's a preacher out there today who continues to get in trouble, and I won't mention any names, Andy Stanley. And he just came out with another video, <clears throat> Andy Stanley, heretic. It, it's funny when I do it that way, but it's not funny when souls are dying when we're supposed to be reconciling, we have teachers out there that have some of the biggest evangelical churches and they teach stuff and they get in the pulpit and they say that, that a person that's a homosexual pervert has more faith than the church. 
because they keep showing up to do the works even though we're speaking against them. So he's saying that they have more faith than somebody else that's not a homosexual. And that is just very sad. You know, you have to remember this, that the, the first word of the gospel is repent. And it doesn't matter whether you're a thief, a liar, a hater, a murderer, or you're sexually perverted. You have to repent. You cannot come to Jesus and keep living in death. You cannot say, I come to Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and you're still following death culture. You're still living like you're dead. You have not changed your mind. The word is metanoia. It means to change your mind, and with a change of mind, you change your direction, and you stop living according to death culture, and you start looking up. Notice the text here. Jesus is looking up. Notice where Jesus, and he's old time down here. Let me look at it. It's three, or excuse me, it's eight. I got to find it. Where'd your brain go, Greg? 838. Look what Jesus says to him. I speak what I have seen with my father. And you do, that's practice, what you have seen with your father. Now notice where Jesus' eyes are at in heaven. He's looking up. It's what he's seen with his father. That's where his father's at. That's where you and I are, are, are at right now. We're hidden in heavenly places. That's why he says, look up. Look to your citizenship. Look to the word of God. Look to the spirit of God. But they're looking down. They're looking at their father, the devil, at the physical. And he's answering them spiritually, which we should all, as Christians, want to understand the spiritual realm. And they're still arguing with him in the physical. They're still arguing in the physical. He wants them to become born again and have a heavenly father. And they're still yelling about Abraham. Who needed to also believe in that same God in order to be saved. And he did. Listen to me. Where are you looking today? Where are you looking? Because Jesus doesn't receive anybody that doesn't repent. You have to repent. You have to change your mind. You have to. The Holy Spirit wakes you up and says, you're dead. You're dead. You were born dead. You're a sinner. And, and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you can be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. You can receive life. And so you have to change your mind and say, you're right. I believe in Jesus. And if you change your mind, you'll change your direction. You don't turn from this world and just turn and start doing something different. You turn to God and you begin to follow the light of the world. And none of us do it perfectly, but our heart must be just like the prodigal son that come to his senses and he said, I'm going to go home and be a servant in my father's house. And when he began to go toward home, came to his senses, the father ran to meet him. When you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But he changed his mind. He changed his direction. He was out in the field eating pig dung, eating pig food. And he said, I'm not going to eat that bread of this world anymore. I'm going to eat the bread of life and begin to be led by the Spirit of God and to believe the truth and glorify God. His life, his direction changed Jesus doesn't accept anyone who doesn't repent and change their mind and turn from their sin. Listen, it doesn't matter how the culture defines it. 
We've renamed everything with psychology and sociology and all the, all the isms that are out there. They've renamed everything and turned it into a sickness instead of a sin. And see, Jesus didn't die for your sicknesses, they'll say, but you need a doctor for that. But when you leave it like the Bible says it, and it's sin, it doesn't matter if our culture says it's okay to kill babies and abort them. It's still murder to God. God is not changing on that. When the culture says, let's legalize drugs and pharmacia, which is sorcery, God is not changing. When the culture says it's okay to live together and shack up, God is not changing. Sex outside of marriage is still fornication, and it's still punishable by death. And anybody that believes in Jesus will turn from these. You cannot sleep with the same sex or be married to the same sex or you are a part of death culture. God is not changing. You, have, you cannot train your children in sexual deviancy and perversion in your schools of indoctrination and think that it's okay with God. God is not moving on these. He says train a child in the way that they're supposed to go. And when they're older, they will not depart therefrom. Listen, God is not fluid. He's unchanging. And He's spoken. And truth is truth. It does not change ever, just because the culture does. But the church is changing with the culture. Instead of standing on the rock of the word of God, God is not changing his mind. He still loves you with an ever-ending love. He's still reconciling souls, but he's still doing it through repentance and the change of a mind through the blood of Jesus, the only Messiah that's coming. There's no new one. And if the church doesn't get that right, then it's a synagogue of Satan. It's not a true salvation. That is turned. Oh, you might struggle. You might fight. But you need to repent. And talk to God about it. Because he's already taken the penalty. And he can take the power of sin from your life. And soon he's going to take you from the presence of sin. If you've really come to him. And we'll be glorified with him. That was your entire introduction to this text. And it's very important because they just told him um, that he was born of fornication. They're trying to find something to accuse him about. And you know what Jesus says to him? Which of you convicts me of sin? Now, how many people could do that? If you're not God in the flesh, how could you look at somebody and go, convict me of sin? Now, first of all, we know that every person born of the first Adam was born with a sin nature, so you're already convicted. None righteous, no, not one, because of the Word of God. But they can find nothing. Think about it. Right here is the perfect opportunity. <clears throat> Their silence speaks of His innocence. Their silence speaks of His perfection. Their silence speaks of what's going on. And God with us is right there telling them, just convict me of sin. Let me show me something that's wrong with his plan of salvation, of following him. And you'll not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Walk means living. 
listen, people can step into darkness, but when you live in darkness and you say it's okay to do this because uh, I don't know what your because is. We all have becauses. And we'll criticize again. Again, going back to Andy Stanley. We'll criticize the homosexual community, and yet most of the church is living out of wedlock or been divorced and married somebody else, and they ignore the Word of God. You have to repent of that. And part of repenting is turning and getting out of it and doing everything to stay away from it. And asking God for help with it not living in it and rolling around in it. That's the same thing that the prodigal son was doing. When he was rolling around with the pigs and eating with the pigs, he was rolling around in his sin, his uncleanness. But he come to his senses and got up out of that and went to the Father. He moved. Oh, there'll be people in the church that's mad. We see that with his brother who couldn't believe that God would throw a party and kill the fatty calf and celebrated that one was found that was lost. Because there's a lot of self-righteousness in the church that gets mad even when people get saved. And that's partly what goes on when we don't go out to save people and reconcile them by telling them the gospel. I don't want to mess with those people. They're dirty. Such were some of you. Such were all of you. We've forgotten where we've been, where we've come from. The gospel is for reconciliation. It's not to reject anybody. God come down to save everybody, but we have to do it his way. Listen, verse 47. This is how he closed the last section. He who is of God hears God's words. And the word hear here means Hearing with intent to obey. I heard that speech. That was a good one. I heard that sermon. That was a good one. I heard that word and didn't do anything about it. Saving faith produces a heart that wants to hear. And even if you have to cry and mourn and plead with God about it, he's pleading with us to be reconciled to him. Why would we not plead with him to deliver us from besetting sins and things that go on in our life? But if we hear his words... And he says to them, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. That would be a hard thing to hear. He's sitting there saying that to them. Who could say that to somebody except God? He's judging. They're hearing right there because they're trying to kill him in their hearts and they won't repent of it. They're saying, nope, that word's not for me. Nope, that's not what I'm going to believe. Nope, that's not what I'm going to do. No, that's not the gospel I was first delivered to me. It's the Bible. It's the truth of the Word of God. We have to repent. We can't go on practicing sin. And then our text, 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered calmly, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. 
yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Father, we pray that you would teach us today, you'd help us to understand your word, that you would give us a clear understanding of the direction we should be going if we're following you, the light of the world. Help us not to walk in darkness. Help us not to argue with your direction and your ways in sickness and health. No matter what it is, Lord, it's just like our marriage vows because we're betrothed to you, that we're going to follow you, our covering, our husbandman, no matter what life brings, and we're going to trust you. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, again, we see this demonic nature that takes over in the flesh when somebody's speaking truth to you and you don't have an answer. You can't refute it. You have no science. You have no ability to argue a point. What happens? Look, what do they say to him? Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Personal attack. This is what you see when there's no science, there's no truth. When somebody's closed-minded, they're done. They're not going to talk about it. We see it in our uh, society today. We're calling it cancel culture, but it's really death culture. And they attack the character of the person. What do you mean you don't believe gender's fluid? You bigot? You racist? Because there's no argument. Science proves that it's not fluid. No matter how many times you say it and go, nah, 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 it's not true. But people bow to peer pressure. They bow to being called names. Jesus addresses it. He said, I can't do that or I'd be a liar like you. And there's no lie in God. He said, I can't just bow down and say, okay, do what you want to do. He's an ambassador of God. He came to declare the way back to God and the kingdom of God. And he's, he's compelled by the Spirit of God to do the will of God because he's living for God. He's looking for God's honor, not his own. So he has to speak up no matter what. He knows they're going to crucify him. He gets to the garden and he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But he already knows there's no other way, but he's still pleading. Because of the flesh that is weak. And he goes through what's called hematidrosis. Such stress. Nobody's ever went through that. There's maybe a couple people, but we haven't. You ever heard of hematidrosis? It's where blood comes out of your sweat capillaries. Because the strain is so hard on you for what you have to go forward and do. But the grace of God is sufficient. The battle wasn't won on the cross, actually. It was won in Little Gethsemane. When he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Your battle is not one out there in the street. It's one in your prayer closet. It's one in your heart, in your house. When you decide, I'm going to follow God no matter what. Not my will, but thy will be done. When you get out there and in the pressure, if you haven't already decided that, you'll follow death culture. You won't speak up. 
because you haven't decided to allow God to use you because you're crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who's living. Your life is hidden in Christ. When He appears, you appear. But you have to reckon yourself dead. Dead to self and alive to Christ, Paul would say. So what do they do? They attack him, a Samaritan, which was the half-breeds of the day. Back when the northern kingdoms were taken away and the Assyrians, what they would do is they would send their strong people down and they would leave the weak uh, Israelites in the land and they'd send their strong people down and then they began to intermarry. And they were half Samaritan, or excuse me, half Jewish, half um, Assyrian, half Babylonian. They called them Samaritans. And you know that these Jew, Jewish people... Almost all of them would not even walk through Samaria. They were so proud of their heritage and who they were in their heart, in their flesh, that they would go around Samaria to keep from being called unclean for walking through their land. That's why in chapter 4, when you guys were with us, Jesus said, I must need go through Samaria. You don't go around. He came for all. You don't ignore. He came for everyone. And he goes right to the Samaritan woman who'd been married how many times? And, and you're living with someone now. And he loved on her, but she repented. She turned. She went and told people, come meet a man that told me everything I ever done. And then they came. They listened, and then they believed. They even said it. We believe now. We, we have, originally, we believed because of what you said, but now we believe because we've heard him. Have you heard him? Listen. So they hated. The Jews hated, whether this is the religious authority or whether this is the believing Jews, wants to believe in Jesus. And they're saying, you, and this is actually like the two worst people on the planet, the Samaritans or demons. That's how they got them listed. Samaritans first, and then demons are the only thing worse than the Samaritan. Notice that. And it actually says a devil in the King James, if you get the King James. It actually says a devil. And it's a demonic being. It's a demon power. It's a demon spirit. Listen, and we sit around today and we play games with this stuff. We sit around today and we practice and watch Harry Potter and vampires and all of these demonic stuff that's coming out of Hollywood, the fallen stars that are sending all this stuff to us. It's sad. It's sad. Very, very sad. But you know what? I get a little frustrated. I get a little bit, and I answer a little bit quickly about this stuff. I don't know if you've seen anything about the Grammys where Christian artists waiting to get their little trophies sat there and watched a, a satanic worship go on on stage. Whole bunch of Christian artists in there. None of them got up and walked out. The same way I said that they should have heard doors slamming and chairs flipping in Andy Stanley's church when he is actually preaching that in a church, they're sitting waiting for their Grammy for being some, some music star down here pretending like they know God and they let a satanic worship go on in front of them on the stage and say nothing about it just so they can be part of this world. That's not dead to self. That's not saintly. And I'm not judging them. I'm letting their actions judge them as I tell you the word of God. I have no ability to judge them. But I can tell a tree by its fruit. Jesus said you can recognize a tree by the fruit it grows. How many people in here see an apple hanging on a tree? You go, that's a pear tree. 
You don't, because it would be goofy. It's as goofy as, as, as sexual fluidity. It's just not true, because God put that law. Kind reproduces kind. My goodness. So anyway, they attack. They attack. And you know what? I would have got it really excited. What does Jesus do in 49 when they attack him with a red herring? When they attack his character because they have no answer about his sin, he says just calmly, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. Revere my father would be a better way to put it. He, 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 is, he is making sure that the Father's word and the Father's truth and the mission that he's on for the Father comes before anything else, even though they're blaspheming him by saying that he has a Samaritan or a demon. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Blasphemy, speaking to the living word of God. Verse 50, and I do not seek my own glory. Notice that. He said they, they seek to kill him. It's the same word he used up there. You can use that word to seek to worship or seek to kill something. He doesn't seek his own glory. I'm not seeking self. There is one who seeks and judges, which he might be referring to them. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone, listen, he's going to say this again, and this is what we got to get. Most assuredly, verily, verily, I think is King James, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Listen, he's offering eternal life. Same thing he said in John 31 and 32 if you, to the Jews who believed in him. If you keep my word, if you continue in my word, if you guard my word. Same type of a statement. He hasn't changed. Even with the attack on his character, he's still looking to honor God with the message that he was given. He doesn't seek his own glory, his own honor, his own praise, his own worship. Actually, in biblical usage, the word for glory is used as opinion or, or view. But notice his example. He's not seeking his own, but he's seeking the Father. It's an example for us. If we're still seeking what we want for ourselves, we're still chasing what we want for our self-life, there's nothing good in the Bible about self except a dead self if we've come to salvation. What we desire, what we want, what we were doing has to stop if we turned and went the other way. And the only thing we can do to glorify God is to point to Him, to look up, to tell others to look up, to be reconciled to God. Yet, selfishness all over the church. So it's really easy to see when someone is self-seeking. They answer to keep their position. They answer to keep their place. They answer uh, rudely because of their pride. They answer. Listen, you know what? Here, here, even again, somebody can say something to you that is offensive. But you don't have to answer back and give reviling for reviling, the Bible says. Because a soft answer turns away wrath. You can speak to them in love still because you know what heart they're coming from. You don't have to stand and argue. You don't have to become contentious. Think about if Jesus would have done that. We would still be dead in our trespasses. 
What are we keeping in our lives? He says, if you keep my word. Anyone. Anyone. King James says man, if any man. But it's anyone. It's the same word for children. If anyone. This just so happens that the Bible is translated in the masculine. But the word means anyone. Because he died for whomsoever. And to keep means to hold firmly. To guard from loss or injury. Here it is. This is, the, this is the part I like about it. It means to stay unmarried. What? If you're guarding God's word. See, we're betrothed to Christ. And when we were betrothed to Christ, he gave us a dowry from the Father. So what do you say in John 14? We'll get to it soon. He says, and I will pray the Father, he will send you another, the spirit of truth. And that spirit comes to be the dowry from God that seals you as a down payment. And that spirit is there to adorn you and prepare you and equip you and dress you up as the bride for the wedding supper of the Lamb when we cross the finish line. That's what a dowry was for. And so the time we're spending now is preparing for that, looking up, going, man, I can't wait till I walk down the aisle with Jesus. And I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And he give me the Holy Spirit to do it, to make sure I look just like that bride when we walk down the aisle. And so I have to stay unmarried. I'm not married yet. I'm betrothed. Remember, uh, 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 Mary was betrothed to Joseph until she was found with child, and he was going to put her away secretly. Same word here for hid in a minute, where Jesus hid himself and walked away from him. They couldn't do nothing to him. Listen to me. They weren't married yet. They were just betrothed to each other. They agreed to be married. And then, this, of course, he had the vision, and the Holy Spirit said, What's, that's of me. Do not put her away, but flee to Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill the child. All these things are going on. Anyway, further instruction. This word, to keep... My word means to stay unmarried. What happens? Oh, we get deceived. We get tricked. Planeo. We get seduced into marrying ourselves to something else in this world. See, we're already betrothed as chaste virgins to God. Chaste virgins, just as if we never sinned before. Because, see, this is all about spiritual. They're talking about physical. Jesus is talking about the spirit life. And he says, Remain unmarried. In other words, don't put something else first. Don't let something else be your covering. Don't be married to something down here that's more important than being prepared as a bride waiting for her groom. Keep his word first. But so many, they get married to a career. They get married and they put a person first. They get married to whatever their expectations are. When I reach this place or do that thing, they get married to a political party and they don't stay unmarried and they commit idolatry against God. And they oh, I'm still saved. I'm still saved. Really? Looks like you're married to something else that's more important in your life than your husband, Christ. He's your covering. He's your head. He's the one training you and teaching you. Husbands, listen to me. Men, 
I know our culture is not popular with this, but the Bible says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean church without wrinkle or any such thing. Now you look at that like, oh my goodness, that's my command to love my wife that way. No, look at it as the mystery of the gospel. That's the way Christ loved you. He laid his life down and he's sanctifying cleansing you that he can present you to himself later in heaven. That's the whole process he's. But it happens to be the example that we're supposed to follow as husbands in covering our wives and protecting them. But really, if you flip it over and look at it and go, wow, that's what he did. Because that's the example. That's the plumb line. So we know that that's what he's doing with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And if we stay unmarried, the Spirit of God will lead you onward and upward. He'll help you fix your eyes and live soberly amidst this crooked and perverse generation where we shine as stars to other people. And all it is is surrender. Just this much. Just a very this much. But you got to start getting into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship. And let God do it. He'll do the work. Faithful is he who called you, and he will also do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He's the one that does it. You just have to get in the water. Dip seven times, as Haman did. Was it Haman? What was his name? Who dipped? The Syrian leader of the army that had leprosy. Who dipped in the Jordan seven times? Anybody know his name? Naaman, not Haman. Okay. It was real close. Naaman did. Haman was that guy that choked on some food for not trusting God, and he kept trusting in bread alone instead of the Word of God. Where are you at? Here we go. What are you keeping? What are you guarding? Are you staying unmarried? Listen, divorce whatever has taken your heart. Divorce it. Repent of it and turn from it. Divorce it. Whatever is taking your heart and comes before God and comes before His Word and comes before you being adorned as a bride, divorce it today. Kick it to the curb. Oh, be serious about it. Nehemiah grabbed them by their beards and said, you divorce them women. I'm, not, I'm just telling you to be serious about it. Don't divorce your wife. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to spiritual truth. You want to be that serious with it. He, he pulled their beards out for not remaining unmarried. That's pretty crazy. You're saying the prophet of God? Well, yeah. He pulled their beards out. Jesus just made a whip to chastise us. Now, he said that if you will do that, you stay unmarried, you're not going to see death. Right? And he's talking about spiritual death because we're spirits. He's talking about spiritual death. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you only die once. You're born once only in flesh, you're going to die a physical death and then a spiritual death for eternity. But if you're born again, you're born twice and you believe spiritually, now you're just going to die this physical body, but you're going to go to the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you die once, you're going to die. If you, if you die once, you're going, to, you're going to, or excuse me, if you're born once, you're going to die twice because you're going to be cast from the presence of God spiritually in eternity. 
But if you're reborn, now you're born spiritually, a new birth, new creation, new way, a new and living way, a new direction, walking in truth, then you're only going to die once. Physical death. And that might happen in the rapture and it'd be in the twinkling of an eye and you won't even know about it. You don't even have to go through the pain of it. He just gives you a new body. That's what I'm praying for because I don't like pain. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Now we got some evidence against you, buddy. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Notice the demonic interference there. Notice their flesh. Notice what's going on. They didn't say what he said the same way Eve did it. He said, you will not see death. They said, you will not taste death. A total different words. They even twisted what he says because they're in the flesh. This is your demonic interference. Taste means to experience. And in many ways, they're rejecting eternal life with their response. It's a physical response. It's a physical response. How did Jesus deal with this before? See, because God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He's the God of life. He wants us to choose life. Look over at Matthew 22, one of my favorite texts. It's also repeated in a couple of the other gospels. Matthew 22, um, during, uh, I think it's during the week of testing before the crucifixion where they have the days of testing just like you would have the lamb there. And they think they're really smart and they're going to come to Jesus, the living word incarnate. And they say to him, look what they say to him. Twenty-two, twenty-three. the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they don't believe in life after death, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring to his brother. It's called leveret marriage. Now, there were... With us, seven brothers, the first died after he had married, and having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second, also the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, notice this, first of all. What did I say first in verse 23? These who do not believe in the resurrection have brought a question saying in the resurrection. They don't know what they believe. And they're just trying to trick him and trip him up. Listen, they're just trying to keep their place. They don't even believe in resurrection. So why would you have a question like that? But I believe this was the number one question they would bring to the Pharisees to stump them and shut them up and they would walk away. An illogical thing to say when you don't believe in resurrection. Why would you say in the resurrection? You don't even believe in resurrection. What is the point? There's not even a question there because nobody, if you don't believe in resurrection, because they're all just going to the dirt. Anyway, here's the point. Here's the beauty. Verse 29. Jesus answered because it was a question that required an answer because he didn't want to leave them in their own stupidity. Um, Said to them, you are mistaken. King James's heir. One of the texts says, you are greatly mistaken. Oh, no, he says that next, doesn't he? 
You are mistaken. You're roaming from safety is what the word means. It's planeo. Not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. Wouldn't it behoove us to learn the scripture and learn the power of God, the spirit of God? See, because the church today has a form of godliness, but denies the power. But Jesus tells us we need to learn the scriptures, learn what he has said, learn what truth is and the power of God. And he told them because of their crazy question, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, he speaks because he knows he's from there. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Why are we not given in marriage? Because we're already betrothed to Christ. If you'd marry somebody else, it'd be polygamy. He said the husband of one, or one wife, the wife of one husband. We're already going to be married to Christ. And you've already been betrothed to her. And if you cross the finish line into the resurrection of life, you'll be at the wedding supper. Anyway, that's my take on it. And the angels don't marry in that respect. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, this is what I wanted you to see. It's quoting the Old Testament, the foundation of what we do. Have you not read? Let me ask you, have you not read the Bible? If you read through the Bible, your life will change forever, dramatically, one time through the Bible. But I would say read through it every year. Learn truth. Put truth in. It's like good medicine. When it goes in, it's one of my favorite things. I love to tell doctors when we go to the hospital, I tell them all about good medicine. When you put the Bible in, it does what you don't even know what it's doing. It just goes in because it's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it's in there working. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on, Lord, but I'm changing. I'm going to tell somebody. And you have to go tell somebody because you're reading the Word of God. I was reading the Word of God today and I seen this and I don't even know what it means, but man, that was powerful you're reading the word of God with the spirit of God you can't leave it in here it's like a fire in your bosom it's got to get out it's got to get out listen and he says to these people who think they know the scriptures have you not read and I would ask you have you not read what was spoken because everything that's being written down is what God's already said he's not speaking anymore if it's new, it's not from God, and it's from God, it's not new. He's the ancient of days. He's unchanging. He's not fluid. Don't miss that. As you fight and argue and get in the flesh, God doesn't change. His word is just as applicable today as it was in the garden when he said, Thou shalt not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Same thing today. If you keep eating from the tree that the devil's holding out, you're going to reap what you sow. But now you have the opportunity to follow light, to eat from the tree of life, Christ himself, the bread of life. And if you do that, you're going to reap life and that more abundantly. He's already spoken by God saying, I am, we're going to see that in a minute, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What's his point? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Notice, he is. They're currently alive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when they died, they went to Abraham's bosom. They went and they in a place of holding, and they're with God. They're not dead because they're spirits that were in a body. So they're alive still, waiting for a new body, a new habitation, made with God's hands, not with man's hands. 
not corruptible. 2 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen, so the same argument holds here when we start talking about it. They're in the physical. They think that Abraham's dead when he's really alive because they don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. They're not understanding what God is doing. And so they argue with the fact about keeping his word. They argue with the fact about staying unmarried. They argue and say it's okay to believe in God and do anything you want. And you won't taste death. It's not true. And they changed his word. The word taste there means experience. And then they challenge him. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? Today consider him dead. But Jesus knows he's very much alive. And the prophets who are dead, they're very much alive. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, if I speak of myself, if I'm talking of myself, my honor is nothing. We should understand that about self. We should pay attention to our sentence structure when we're saying I, I, I. I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. I, I did this. I painted the church. I took out the trash. I did this. When we start talking about I a whole bunch, it's the word ego. And it stands for ease God out. We should understand that it's by the grace of God. If we do anything that's good, it can only come from God. It can't come from the flesh because there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. Nothing. It's in sin. So he's honoring the Father. He's not trying to honor himself. 54b, it is my Father who honors me. And the Father is testifying, honoring Jesus, sent Jesus as the Messiah. He's honoring Him and glorifying Him by, by giving Him the works to do, by giving Him the grace to keep speaking the truth of whom you say He is your God. Yet, you have not known Him. What's this? This is a crazy, this is something crazy to say to somebody unless you're God. Just like He said, convict me of sin. Put me on trial. Where's my sin? Yet you have not known him. This is the accusation against these people that are arguing with the living word of God. They do not know God. And then he says, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Speaking right in their face, calling them liars. Man, don't you hate that? I remember when I was a heathen. And I could tell a good yarn. I could tell a good lie. And people would go, you're lying. You're a liar. And what would you do? You'd double down. No, I'm not lying. And you'd make up something else, another lie. And you'd try to support it. But you know what? When somebody's fruit is lying and how they're living and what they're saying and they're trying to glorify themselves, it's obvious if you're trying to live for God. Or if you're trying to live for yourself, the fruit of your life becomes obvious. I'm not telling you to walk around and go, oh, you're a liar. Oh, you're not living for Jesus. You're living for self. That's not the point. If God shows you something, you should pray for people. But there comes a time when you have to put feet on your prayer. You have to do something about it sometimes. Because as a body of Christ, listen to me. Listen, this is very important. 
as a body of Christ, as a people that meet together, your sin affects everybody else in this room. Your lying affects everybody else in this room. Your living affects everybody that's associated with you. Just like in a body, when, when cancer cells, you know what they are? They're cells that say, I'm going to honor myself. We know we're supposed to be flowing over here and doing this and taking care of this, but all we're going to do is stop right here and only take care of ourselves. All we're going to do is this selfishness right here in this place, and it becomes a cell that has to be dealt with. It has to be cut off with radical things. Sometimes you lose whole limbs and appendages. You have to cut stuff out because if not, it's going to affect and kill the rest of the body. That's what cancer is. That's what it is when people are set in the body of Christ and they believe lies and they ignore Jesus and they ignore the Spirit of God and they say, I'm okay because God hasn't reached down and smacked me in the side of the head with a ball bat. Listen to me. If you want to be part of a body and everybody that's meeting in a building, you put a people, 10,000 people in one room and everybody says, I love Jesus, not everybody in there is really saved. But everybody that's in there that wants to be part of a body, you have to follow the examples of scriptures. And the Bible is clear about authority and clear about elders and clear about what it looks like. And in our churches today, we'll just take anybody that throws their hat in the ring. And we will allow somebody to do things that do not qualify to do what they're doing. So we need to wake up. And the first person that should be concerned about their qualifications is you. What am I called to do? And what do I need to do to walk righteously before God? Because he's the one that calls. He's the one that qualifies. He's the one that asks us to speak. He's the one that has approved us. What was our memory verse? Anybody remember? 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. Oh, my goodness. He has approved us. Oh, I forget it. you got to be kidding me. I know that verse. I know that verse, and then my brain's not getting it. Is it 1 Thessalonians 2.4? We're not doing good. Yeah. But as we have been approved by God, remember, he's approved, they've been called by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, the good news, Iroquelin, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but as God who tests the hearts. Listen, that's how we're supposed to be speaking because of what God has called us to. That's how we're supposed to be living. He is the one that is approving our life. Couple minutes, I'm almost finished. Rock over to the other cheek. Move back and forth. Stand up if you must. So he calls them liars because they're living. He already called them liars over there. He said they're following, they're doing what their father, the devil, does. Again, and 55b there at the end but i do know him and what does he do exactly what he's calling us to do he keeps their word he keeps god's word that's what he's about in life he came down to declare remember john 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and the word come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth 114 he is declaring the word of god the heart of god your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad boy is this going to set him on fire think about that for a minute 
Then the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? That's pretty cool, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's always been. Jesus said to them, No, I don't know what 50 means, okay? 40 is the number of judgment. 10 is the number of perfect completion. I don't know what 50 means. We are chasing fives all over the Bible. So, and there's a 50. It's a random number as far as I know until I learn anything else about it. Verse 56, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham, father of many nations, was, I am. There it is again, third time in this chapter. I am, ego a me. I am the self-existing one. He's now claiming to be Jehovah. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming exactly what happens in Exodus 3.14 when Moses, one who was drawn out, is sent by God in the burning bush passage to tell Pharaoh, set my people free, turn them loose. He says, well, who will I say sent me? He says, I am that I am. The self-existing one, the becoming one, God Almighty. So Jesus is clearly saying here to them that Abraham seen his day. Where did Abraham see his day? Do you guys know? Have you guys been reading the Bible? There's a vision in Genesis 15 when he when he when he, he does a vision when he's ratifying the covenant. Chapter 17, Abraham at 99, it says, the Lord appeared to him and talked with him. Chapter 18, it's amazing that he appears to him. Remember that? Uh, we're not going to go there for lack of time. In chapter 18 of Genesis, you can go and see this. And this is where the Lord appeared to him. Nobody has seen God and lives. But Christ, who is the Word of God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, has always existed. He was born as in a, in a baby's belly as Jesus and Mary. I don't know how it works, but it does because He's God. But in the Old Testament, there's what's called theophanies or Christophanies. And these are cameo appearances of God all over the Bible. Remember when Joshua and them getting ready to go into the promised land and, and Joshua was being a tough guy and thinks he's got this under control because God's called him? And obviously Joshua means uh, Jesus in the Hebrew, the Lord of salvation. And he sees this guy and he goes over to him and he goes, Hey, whose side are you on? You're on our side or their side? And he says, No, but as the commander of the army of the living God, I have come. And it's Christ right there as the commander of the army of the living God. It's called a Christophany, Christ in the flesh. And this is what happens when you see the Lord appeared, or capital A, the angel of the Lord. That's Jesus all over the Old Testament, always coming and taking care. It, 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 Proverbs chapter 8 says his delight was with men. He was always down here taking care of men, waiting for the fullness of time so he could be born in a virgin belly and come and be the salvator of the world. But he was always here. His delight was with us protecting and taking care of. And in chapter 18, remember he comes and there's three of them actually. And Abraham looks out in the cool of the day and there's three men. And he recognizes it's the Lord because he's seen him before. And I'm paraphrasing and we'll get there. It's quicker. And he says, oh, and he goes out and he says, oh, turn in here and let me refresh you and show some hospitality and I will call the servants and we'll make some food and I'll make you a meal and you can eat. 
And he says, okay. And they sit down and they sup together. They have a meal together. They eat together. Abraham was glad to see that day. Then what happened, Greg? Well, the two angels go off and they're going towards Sodom. Let's just turn there. It's chapter 18. Because you want to see this. It's Genesis 18. You want to see that God says... Just turn to Genesis 18. What God says about the person he calls to live for him. To inherit his wealth and to be his friend because you believe him. And it's 1816 of Genesis. Because they had a meal, but judgment is coming. Because the Lord and those angels came down to see something. And it says this in 1816. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, who did he say it to? To himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? What I am doing? Listen, God is not hiding anything from you and me. It's here in the scriptures. He's always doing the same thing, reconciling souls. And what is he doing? He allows the devil to always do the same thing, to attack you, to, to, to test your hearts. And he always gives you the truth. You can follow him or you can ignore him and do your own thing and believe some liar. But look what he says. Shall I hide from the father of many nations what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. Listen, God's speaking as if he knows the future. He hasn't had the first child yet. Wait a minute. He might have had Hagar. He might have had uh, uh, Ishmael. For I have, no, he hasn't. I'm sorry. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Listen, is that why God knows you? Listen, fathers. Listen, fathers. God says, I have known you in order that he may keep my command, excuse me, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham, to you, to me, the inheritors, the sons of Abraham, what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because there is sin, and sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know." Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Christophany. Here's Christ and Abraham standing there together. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? So he becomes this interceder like Christ. He's interceding, saying, Don't kill the righteous. And he goes all the way down to 10 people. But he's standing there. Abraham's standing there with Jesus Christ in a Christophany, God in the flesh, which is who Jesus is. Emmanuel, God with us. And they're talking. And this is what he's talking about. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. And this is what he's telling these who think that they know the scriptures and yet they're standing there arguing with God in the flesh. The Messiah has come and they're rejecting his truth and they want to live their own way still. And listen, how do we know that Jesus right here claimed to be God? Watch their actions. 
And we'll close. Verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him, because Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Why did they pick up stones? Because he claimed to be God. And they determined it was blasphemy and sin. And he was, they became the judge, the jury, and they became the executioner. And they picked up stones. Where'd they get them from? I don't know. They got vending machines. These people got rocks everywhere. No, their roads were made out of rocks. And they would pull them out of the road and then throw them at people to kill them. Listen to me. Jesus claimed to be Yahweh, claimed to be God, claimed to be Jehovah in the flesh. And he told them he had spoke with Abraham and Abraham rejoiced to see his day. And they took up stones and they said, we're going to kill you. That's death culture. When you tell people the truth, there's going to be two reactions. One, they're going to take up stones and try to kill you. Now, it might be verbal. You racist, you bigot, you Jesus freak. It might be some other type of stone. But guess what? The early church, they were killed for their faith. Everybody in the Bible, that's why we, we have to understand that. You die to self and you begin to proclaim the truth even if they kill you. All the disciples were killed. All of them. John was the one they tried to kill. They tried to throw him off the pinnacle. It didn't kill him. They boiled him in oil. It didn't kill him. So they cast him to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the revelation, the uncovering of Christ. And then he came back and later, and in the end of his life, he, he, he was the, 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 the uh, 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 pastor in Ephesus. And he just spoke. He said, love. Love one another. But love tells the truth. Love doesn't tell people, yeah, you're right, gender's fluid. Yeah, you're right, you can just do what you want. Yeah, you're right, you said a prayer, you're okay. Love confronts. Love speaks out. Love came down and spoke into their darkness. And he's sitting here arguing with them. They're arguing, he's speaking truth. So that they will come out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that they can go and sin no more. But he knows what they're going to do. The question is, what are you going to do today? Are you going to believe in Jesus? Are you going to believe in Jesus and then agree with his word or begin to argue with his word? All over, all over our planet, people are changing his word, just like they did here. All over our planet, they're compromising the word. And our lives, when we live a lie, when we compromise the word, we're telling other people that it's okay. And that this is the gospel. The best, the best example of Jesus is chapter 22. Oh my goodness. You can read it later of Genesis 22. When the father takes his son up on Calvary. And his son has wood on his back. And he's going to sacrifice him right there on the Calvary. It's a type of Christ. Notice what happened. They took up stones. What did he do? He's God. They couldn't kill him yet. It wasn't his hour. It wasn't his time. He wasn't supposed to die of stones. The prophecy is that he would hang on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he hid himself. How did he hide himself? What do you mean he hid himself? It means to move. It's cryptos. Moved away secretly. Stealthily. Did he just blend into the crowd because there's no cumbliness about him? Or did he make himself invisible? 
I think he just blended into the crowd and said, not today. But think about the power that had to be there. If they're ready to kill him, they're wanting to kill him, and he just walks off. It's happening today. It's happening today. They're wanting to kill him. And he will leave the temple. If you don't want to know the word of God, he will leave the temple. He will walk out. You're the temple of God. Do you not know you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? Listen, if you want to argue with his word, you quench, grieve, insult, and lie to the Holy Spirit, he will leave the temple. I'm serious. You reap what you sow. It's, it's a natural law that cannot be changed. Only death comes from death. But if you've been given life, new life, reborn, it's interesting that he goes through their mist and so pass by. Is that where that song come from? Don't pass me by, gentle Savior. You guys remember that old hymn? I don't. I'm just trying to... I remember some words from it. Please don't pass me by. See, if you argue with his will, you argue with his words, you argue with his ways, his counsel, and you think you can live any way you want. I'm speaking to myself. Listen, I'm just the guy called up here with the gift of teaching to do this. We need to make sure that we understand that we can all make mistakes. But when we double down and say, now, now we know you got a demon. Now we know it's not true. When the word of God has already declared it, we need to be very, very careful. We're at the, in trouble at the heart of our Christian walk. We're all in this together as the body of Christ and we're all competent to counsel if we learn the word of God. Anything else is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And I pray that you have a desire to get into the word and to draw near to God. Because he longs to draw near to us. He longs to uncover and open up. He doesn't want to hide himself from us. But if we don't believe him, he'll hide his truth. He'll cover it back up. He'll allow the devil to put a veil over your eyes. And you won't see the truth of the scriptures so you can walk in the light as he is in the light. And we can have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son Jesus purifies us. Father, thank you for your word and for your mercy and your grace. Lord, help us to walk in the light. Lord, we pray that you would move us into a place where we could follow you. And Lord, it's just our hearts. It's just our decisions, our free will. Lord, we pray that you would remove anything in our life that uh, is deceiving us. You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to your church, your bride, your people that are betrothed to you. Because we know that we're living in an age of deception, perilous times. But you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church. So help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Because you're willing to uncover it and tell us everything that you're doing, just like you did with our father Abraham. You reveal it because you want us to tell others. Pour out your spirit upon us now. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.
And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I